Second Peter, written by, any guesses? Peter, right? The Apostle Peter. Good letters to Jewish believers who had moved out of Jerusalem. And the reason that they had moved out of Jerusalem was because they were getting persecuted by the Orthodox Jews for believing in Jesus. So they thought they would escape to some Gentile nations where they could find some peace. So they started heading out uh, into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And that's where they kind of scattered throughout Asia Minor. But not long after leaving Jerusalem, the Romans started persecuting them as well. And the reason is, is the Romans were ruled by the Emperor Nero. How many people know that name? Nero, okay. If you, if you want to study a crazy man, there it is. Because he was a certifiable madman. Uh, he was a sociopath, a psychopath. I don't really know the ton of difference there, but he was definitely both of them. Uh, he was known for being, you know, exceptionally cruel. Uh, and he was sadistic, and he was just evil, right? And just for kicks... He used to do some really awkward things, like he would take Christians and burn them alive on a stake and use them as garden torches, not for any particular reason, just because he thought it'd be a cool thing to do. Uh, Also, just for kicks, he set his home country, the country he was the dictator over, Rome, he set it on fire and it burned for six days. And the historians disagree about why, but one thing they know is he didn't really seem to care. He was just an evil, evil man. But when the Romans found out that he started that fire, they were ready to revolt. But as soon as they started making accusations and getting ready to prepare that revolt, he just shifted the blame to Christians. He said, I didn't do it. The Christians did. And realistically, they knew he was lying, but they were terrified of the man. So they started persecuting Christians heavily because he put the blame on him. So the land where these, you know, where uh, Peter's readers went, these these, uh, Jewish converts that where they'd gone to find peace, actually ended up becoming even more hostile right, to them. And it was a difficult time for him. So Peter wrote to them uh, to teach them how to live faithfully even in a hostile world or hostile circumstances, right? Now, uh, after Nero started blaming the Christians for the fire, it became fashionable to blame Christians for everything. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? But it's just, it became kind of fashionable. So a big part of the persecution they were dealing with was all these constant false accusations uh, where they were trying to to put on believers so that they could... uh, you know, mar their name. So today we'll discuss Peter's instructions on how to manage dual citizenship, because all believers, whether you want to accept it or not, we are all dual citizens of both of God's kingdom and of this world. And so I titled this message Managing Dual Citizenship because that's how creative I am. But anyway, so uh, even though this world isn't our final home, one thing we have to do, and Peter knew that, is we have to learn how to live and serve in the world while we're waiting to be home with Christ. And there's no better example of managing that dual citizenship than Jesus, and we'll look at that here in a minute. Okay, that's as quick a recap as I can give you. Let's jump in. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one who is in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do uh, right. For such is the will of God. Listen to this. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay? Now, in view of our current political landscape. What I'm about to teach might rub some people the wrong way, but I can't let that dissuade me at all because uh, I'm not called to, to make you feel comfortable. I'm, taught, I'm called to teach you the truth about God's Word because that's the only way we're going to be successful is to know God's Word and to live by it. So if I offend you, suck it up. Okay, now, so he starts off in verse 13 with something that feels like a punch in the gut. It really does. It kind of feels like a punch in the gut and because he starts off talking about submission. Now, in our current day, 
when people hear the word submission, it just puts a bad taste in their mouth. They feel like by, by being submissive to anyone that you're saying you're less than them, and that's just not the case. And the reason submission puts such a bad taste in our mouth is the enemy doesn't want us to learn to be submissive. Because he knows that a relationship with God, a good relationship with God, actually requires submission. So he doesn't want us getting used to that mindset. He knows if people learn the value of submission, they might just do something crazy like submit their lives to God. So he doesn't want us to, to give in to that. But what he doesn't tell us is unknowingly, we submit to things all the time. We just don't think about it. I mean, we're all the time we're submitting to something like various ideas and, and policies and cultural philosophies. We're constantly submitting to all those things. For example, most of us are raised to embrace certain political ideals or certain, you know, political, um, you know, ways of thinking, platforms, ideals. We were just, uh, we were raised, some people are raised Democrat. You know, some people are raised Republican. Some people are raised, you know, the fringe stuff, whatever else, you know. But people are generally raised to embrace some kind of political ideals. Uh, and we don't even realize it, but we submit ourselves to that, right? And we become as passionate about the, pol the political things in our life as we do about religion or as we do about morality. I mean, we actually become very, very passionate. Now, the sad part of that is, and this is the difficult part, the sad part about embracing those political ideals is part of it is villainizing everybody who disagrees with you. You ever notice that? It's not like, hey, let's have a healthy, you know, political landscape where there's people of different viewpoints. No, if you're a Democrat, you're raised to hate Republicans. And if you're a Republican, you're raised to hate Democrats. And I just don't think that's what the forefathers had in mind when they set that up. But, you know, unknowingly, here we are submitting to things like that and don't even realize it, even though we say we hate submission. But, you know, just because we've learned to accept that mindset doesn't make it godly and it doesn't make it right. And that's kind of what Peter is talking about here. Remember, as believers, we're supposed to be God's ambassadors to an evil world, which means people have to recognize us as being godly. So believers are supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be approachable. We're supposed to display the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And when we're like that, people feel more comfortable about approaching us and asking us questions about God because they see the love of God in us. But when our political idealism alienates us from anybody, I mean anybody, then it kind of hinders that process because there's a group of people you can't reach. You know, and what's sad is some people are like, well, I'm okay with that. I've literally seen people online saying, I don't see how someone can be whatever political party and be a Christian. I'm like, really? Did you really just drag that up? Literally, you see stuff like that all the time. So we got to make sure that we don't do things to hinder the process. And, and by being so bought in and submissive to things like that, it's just distracting us from God. Now, in verse 12, Peter discussed something. Ben talked about this last week. Uh, he discussed how believers should live in a way that they could glorify God. Let's go back to 1 Peter 2.12. He says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or non-believers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter basically was saying, live so close to God. Do things that so godly that people just won't believe any false accusations against you. And this is kind of the theme you're going to see throughout the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3, is how to live in unity and how to live in a way that, that make people uh, see that you love God and that you're not getting involved in all that stuff. So with that in mind, let's take another look at verses 13 through 15 and kind of unpack what Peter was trying to tell us. So starting in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Okay, remember that. For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, how many institutions? To every human institution, whether to a king 
As to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those who do right. For such is what? Okay, everybody's going to say that with me. For such is what? The will of God. Uh, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance, foolish men. These are the people making those false accusations against these Jewish believers that we talked about. Now, he said believers are to submit, right? They're to submit. Now, be honest. How many people, when you hear submit, think, as soon as you hear it, be honest. Do you guys think that way a little bit? Everybody does, I think. So he said we're to submit. In the Greek, it's the word hypotasso, and it means to obey or to accept someone else's authority. Specifically, he, was, he said that we were to submit to all kinds of human authority, meaning governments as well, even government. Now, is it putting a bad taste in your mouth yet? We're talking about governments, right? So in the Greek, it's kind of neat because the word submit was used two different ways, realistically. It used two different ways. It was used uh, militarily, governmental, and relational. And governmental and relational are kind of used the same way. So uh, militarily, the word submit was, uh, submit was a call to action. It was a call to action. When soldiers heard it, they knew what it meant. It meant to come together as a unit in order to receive and follow the instructions of the commander. So when they heard the word submit, that's what a soldier would think. Right? But governmentally and relationally, when the, they used the word submit, it was used to describe more of an attitude. Right? Uh, in those instances, it meant a voluntary attitude of cooperation. That's how the Greeks used the word submit, and this was written in Greek. And that, and that attitude of voluntary uh, cooperation is essential in developing unity in this world. Now, let's just be honest, and I'm not going to get into all the politics, but if you're honest, this world is more divided than I have ever seen it. Don't you think? This country is more divided than I've ever seen it. And the enemy loves that. He doesn't want you submitting. He doesn't want you to have an attitude of cooperation so that we can learn to get along with people, even those we disagree with. He doesn't want that. He wants you to hold your ground and keep finding reasons to divide. And that's why I just think it's sad that people don't take the time to understand what Peter's trying to teach here, how valuable it is that we learn to submit. Peter was saying that you've gotta, you, don't, you don't have to agree with the government. You don't have to like the government. You don't have to like the government leader. Uh, that's not what he's saying. He was saying that you should just respect the office for what it means. It's authority. Now, you may not like the president, and you don't have to. You may not agree with the president, and you don't have to. But I still respect the office because of authority. The, it, it was placed in authority over me, and I'll explain that here in a minute. Right? You need to respect the authority of the office or the institution, and we should obey those commands like they're coming from God. Now, everybody's going to look at me like, what? Because you guys are all thinking about what you heard on Fox News or CNN. Right? But let me explain. Right? The Apostle Paul kind of explained this the best way. Uh, Romans 13, 1 through 5. He said, every person is to be in subjection to what? To the governing authorities. For there is no authority except what? From God. God. And those which exist are established what? By God. God. That is so important. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed what? The The ordinances of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior. This is meaning people who are doing what right shouldn't, what's right shouldn't have to fear leaders or, or, or uh, whoever's in charge politically. Uh, but for evil. Uh, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have the praise from the same. This is saying, listen, follow the rules. And you don't have to worry about whatever party's in office, right? Verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, 
For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the ones who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not because of wrath, but, because of, uh, but, but also for conscience sake. So those in authority are supposed to act in the best interest of the people. And we all know that government always acts in the best interest of the people, doesn't it? When you go to the gas pumps, you're thinking, my government loves me, aren't you? When you go to get a loan right now, you're like, government loves me. See, that's not, they're supposed to think that way. They're supposed to govern us honestly and fairly. That's not always the case. They're supposed to be the ones who punish evil and reward good behavior. The system we live in, if you find a loophole, even evil can get away with it, right? So it's not exactly like it's supposed to be, right? And not all leaders, unfortunately, are, you know, give two shakes about the people, and they're not too concerned about God either. And because of that, God has built in an exception to submitting to authorities. And we'll look at that later in the message. I just want to give you a little hope there. But remember, part of being a good believer is learning how to submit to God's authority. You cannot be a good believer if you cannot submit to God's authority. And think about it. If you can't submit to the authority you can see that's all around you, how can you submit to the authority of God that you can't see? Right, So the authority God places in our lives is to teach us how to be humble and how to submit and how to uh, comprehend authority. So let's discuss the elephant in the room. I know everybody's thinking this and everybody's mad at me. And I want to talk about the obvious questions that this presents. Why would God want you to submit to leaders or institutions that are hostile to him? Has anybody been thinking that? Why would God want that? The simple answer is, this is all about learning to create harmony and unity in a hostile world. This is what it's all about, right? The plan of God will not work if there's no uh, structure or cohesiveness. And the structure and cohesiveness we learn from submitting to authority gets us ready to learn it from God. And as a major part of that structure and cohesiveness, it's, it's just respecting authority. With, without respect of authority, there's nothing but chaos and anarchy. And I'm, I'm telling you, when you see chaos and anarchy ruling in a nation, you'll see why it's important to have authority. Have you ever paid attention to a lot of the third world nations, third world countries? It seems like, I mean, time and time again, there's revolts and there's uprisings and there's coups constantly happening because they're always taught to rebel against authority. And how's it worked out for them? They're still third world nations because chaos cannot reign supreme. It can't happen. You ever heard the old saying, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Yeah, that's kind of what happens when no one accepts authority or learns to submit to authority. If everybody's left to their own devices, this is what happens. Complete and utter chaos. And Peter didn't want that. Peter was afraid that these men who were being persecuted would start raising up and revolting against the government, even in areas that didn't matter. He was worried about that. Then they would lose their ability to witness to people, right? And when believers don't obey the rules, you know what happens is we don't look any different from the rest of the world who's totally discontent. And the world is totally discontent. Have you ever noticed that, that what you have is never enough in this world? You can have a nice car with low miles, it's good looking, and you're in love with it, and they make you feel like if you have a car more than two years old, you're just a failure. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're a failure. If you don't have as big a house as everybody else, you're a failure. If you don't have as big a bank account, you're a failure. The, listen, the world is, is teaching us to be discontent. They want us to be discontent, right? And by being discontent, discontent, we look like the rest of the world, and we lose our ability to reach people for Christ. See, believers 
one thing I think we've forgotten is we give the government too much credit for our circumstances, way too much credit for our circumstances. I want you to understand this and see if this gives you some peace. Okay, there is no government, there is no institution out there that's going to alter or change God's divine plan. It's going to happen. What God said will happen will happen. God has made certain irrevocable promises that he's going to keep no matter what. doesn't matter. He's going to keep the promises he made no matter what. Promises that no government, no leader, no political party, no philosophy can change. And God made these promises to humanity. There's so many of them. I was trying to think of which ones to mention. I'm just going to mention five. I could be preaching for weeks on just the promises that God made, but I'm going to mention five of them that he made that will not change. First and foremost, okay, he promised to give eternal life to all who trust Jesus for us. Look at this, John 6, 40. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And evidently it disappeared from the world. But uh, John six forty, <laughs> There it is. Ask and you shall receive. Anyway, it says, For this is the will of my Father, this is red letter, this is Jesus talking, that everyone who beholds the Son, in the Greek that means perceives and understands who he is, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have what? eternal life, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. Now, that is an irrevocable promise from God. It doesn't matter if the Democrats are running the country, the Republicans are running the country, the Whig Party, the Independents. It doesn't matter if communism takes over. That's going to happen. God promised it. If you trust Jesus, you will have eternal life, okay? Second promise we'll talk about. He promised that if believers fully trust in him, he will provide all their needs. Look at this, Matthew six thirty-one. Through 34, he says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? Have you heard a lot of that lately? I have. People act like the world is going to come apart. Right? Verse 32, For the Gentiles, or unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now focus on that for a second. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. I think we forget that. God knows exactly what we need verse 33 but seek first what you guys are lame but seek first what his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will what be added to you he's saying what are you worried about those stuff for why you think i'm not able to provide it anymore verse 34 i love this it says so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself each day has enough trouble of its own isn't i mean amen isn't that the truth Right? Now, I better, better move on because I could preach on that forever. Third, uh, he promised to give us peace and rest in times of turmoil and unrest. So Matthew eleven twenty eight, I love this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. This means burdened, burn out, and I will give you what? Rest. rest. I don't know what you guys do when you're just fed up, right? But when I am totally fed up and I don't know what to do, I just bow to God and say, God, I... And, I, you know, there's no sense in praying all self-righteously. I'm just like, God, I am so done with this. I am tired of who I work with. <laughs> just kidding, Nate. I am tired of who I work with. I'm tired of the people in my life. I'm tired of this. I can't stand this government. I'm just sick of it. I, I mean, the, you know, when you just get so frustrated with everything going on, and there are times I just have to pray, and God reminds me, yeah, you've got it so rough. You have the promise of eternal life. You've got a terrible, Chris. You have the promise that I'll make sure you have all your needs. Gosh, bless your heart. You're struggling, aren't you? You have healthy family. You have people who love you. And I'm here for you. Tell me again why it is that you're ready to give up. He always gives me that. And then I feel guilt-tripped, right? But look at this, Romans 8, 28. 
It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those what? Who love God. Remember, I say this every time. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, to those who love God, that's people who are faithfully serving God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what's he promised? If you're faithful and submissive to me, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I will take care of it when things come on you. Here's a, here's a, a big one, okay, and the last one, the fifth and last one. But he promised to forgive us and restore us when we get out of, the, out of his will simply by confessing it. He just promised that. And I don't know about you, I am so thankful for, for this passage in 1 John 1, 9. Because you guys might not struggle with sin, but I do. Okay, you, not, you might not have issues with, you know, with, you know, something just off the top of my head, road rage. But, you know, I do. So I love this passage, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to clean us from what? All unrighteousness. Those are the kinds of promises, and I could go on forever. Those are the kinds of promises that God made that are not going to be changed no matter what's going on, no matter who's in authority. And the reason those promises are so important and the reason I listed them is sometimes we need to remember who's really in charge. God is in charge. Why do we freak out about who's in the White House? Why do we freak out about all those things? Why do we freak out about who's in the United Nations or what's happening with some crazy little leader in some country that's got a missile? Here's, here's the facts of the matter. Get as many missiles as you want. God is still in control. And I trust him to be a great leader. Right? And as I said earlier, there's only one exception to God's rule about submitting to authority, to all human authority. Right? And, I mean, it's, it's a, a pretty plain exception, so don't, don't run with this. But we're to follow all human authority unless that authority asks you to do something that's against God. That's when you no longer submit to that authority. You can submit to that authority right up till they say, don't pray in school. I will pray in school. You can, you can submit to their authority up to when they say, you can't take your Bible to work. I will take my Bible to work. Well, especially my job, because, you know, it's here. But, you know, when they say you cannot talk about Jesus, I'm, I'm going to break that rule. Okay, because that rule's against God. I am not under any obligation to follow that rule. Right? That's the escape. And Peter, it's ironic, because Peter is one of the perfect examples of knowing when to stand against authority. Look at this in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. This is after Peter was arrested just for preaching the gospel. It says, when they had brought, uh, when they had brought them, uh, they said to them before the council, I'm sorry, they, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet... You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now think about what he just said. He said, we told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. And what do you do? You're preaching in the name of Jesus and you have the gall to say that we're the ones that killed him. See, I'm a smart aleck. About that time I'd be saying, you did. It was you that killed him. Right? Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. There's your exception. Now, I've had people use that, that passage there as justification for not following any rules. That's not the case. It's when the rules ask you to violate God's word, that's when you can abandon submitting to that authority. See, there's a reason I don't worry too much about the government or political corruptness or the corrupt politicians. Y'all act like this is the first era we've had political corruption or that we've had corrupt politicians. I think it's on the application to be a politician. I do. 
are you corrupt? No, you can't have this job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's some good ones out there. I've just never met them. But um, listen, I'm not, I'm not worried much about that stuff. It doesn't shock me. It's always been that way. It, it doesn't matter who's in City Hall. It doesn't matter who's in the State House, who's in the White House, or who's in the outhouse. None of that matters. Okay? Because I know God's still on the, on the throne, and he's still in complete control. So I'm not going to be that guy that's out arguing and fighting with people on social media and arguing and fighting at family reunions. Listen, you want to have a good family reunion? Don't talk about politics or religion. Okay? Talk about your love for Jesus. Stay off religion. Stay off politics. Or it's going to be, you know, it will end with the cops being called. Just saying. No human authority is going to change the fact that God is in complete control. Now, moving on in 1 Peter 2.16. I love this. He says, act as free men. Okay, as free people. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond servants or bond slaves of God. So when Peter says act as free men, he meant to act like people who have been freed from this world. Act like people who are on their way to heaven. Don't act like people that are stranded here and have no hope. Don't act like if the government's not right, you're doomed. He said, don't act like that. Act like free men, men who have been set free by the love and grace of God. Act like those kind of people, right? And when he said, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, he was talking about something called antinomianism. I'm not going to say that again quickly. Antinomianism, all right? And what that is is a belief that since we're saved by grace apart from works, then it doesn't really matter if we do good works anymore once we're saved. It doesn't really matter if we do things uh, you know, the way God wants or have good morality once we're saved because we're saved apart from work, so what the heck? And that's not what Peter's teaching. As a matter of fact, many times Peter said that was wrong, right? Salvation is not a license to sin for believers. It's not a license to rebel against authority. And that's what he was talking about. Don't use the fact that you're a believer as a reason to get involved in these revolts against the government. He's saying don't use that as an excuse. That shouldn't be the case. Listen, here's the thing. No believer deserves eternal life. It's a gift of God by faith alone in Christ alone. And I'm going to get to throw in my favorite scripture here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. Okay, so you do nothing to deserve it. Verse 9. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of what? So that no one may boast. Right? The reason I like to bring that up, that's the passage that brought me to Christ. And long story, I'll tell you another time. But knowing that we should be humbled and we should look at these difficult circumstances, knowing God's in control, knowing that no, knowing that no matter what or how crazy this world gets, God is going to take care of us, and we should humbly be willing to share the message of grace that made us free men. This is what Peter was saying. Keep your focus, right? Now in verse 17, Peter gets very specific about his commands about uh, his reader's behavior. Look at this. He says, honor what? All people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. What? Honor. Honor the king. Okay? This is very, very, very specific for a reason. When Peter said honor all people, the Greek word for honor there is timao, and it means to respect all people. It means to respect all people. All people in the Greek is the word pas, meaning everyone and all kinds of people. Okay, so we're to respect everyone and all kinds of people. Meaning we should honor or respect every race, every nationality, every gender, every age group. We should give them all equal respect. And I just want to say this, and I'm not going to preach on it very long, but 
All types of prejudice, racism, xenophobia, and sexism are against God's will. It is not God's will. If you are prejudiced, you need to understand something. Number one, you're being a redneck. Number two, God designed those people of every age, every race, every nationality. When you think you're better than one of them, you say that God made differences in his creation, and he did not. Everyone is created equal in the eyes of God, and God loves everyone equally. And if you want to be like God, you have to love people like that too. Right now, I'm not going to go on a tirade about that. I'll get off my soapbox. But we should be committed to God's grace, and we should be committed to sharing it to anybody who will listen. And this is the whole reason Peter was talking about authority. He didn't bring this up so he could make, you know, governmental debates get fired up. He was saying, listen, look at you guys. Look how easily you're distracted. Jesus, not a hundred years ago, died on a cross at this time to give you eternal life. He set you free from the power of sin and death. He promised you eternal life. And what are you doing right now? Are you being grateful and humble and out serving him? No, you're trying to start rebellions against government. You're getting involved in all these political arguments. He's like, what is wrong with you? Listen, the whole purpose, the whole reason that God gave us his grace and gave us the ability to have heaven was that, so that we would be thankful and share that gift with everybody else, right? So he says, love the brotherhood. This means love fellow believers because we're all on the same team. I wish people would remember that. Listen, denomination and, and theological idealism have all but destroyed the brotherhood he's talking about. Okay, I got a newsflash that's probably going to make somebody mad and I'm probably going to get an email. There's no such thing as denomination. In the scripture, there were believers or unbelievers. That's what it is. And people say, oh, but Jews, listen, the Jews were the word God used to identify those who believed at that time. There's no such thing as denomination. That's something that man made up. Believers need to quit looking for reasons to divide and to separate and start looking for reasons to unify. And you know what, it, what happens is when you worry about whether you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, the list goes on and on. When you start worrying about that, you're looking for reasons to, to, to separate. That's what you're looking for. But you know what? Forget denomination. And remember, we're all going to the same heaven. And how about this? How about we look for reasons to unite so that we can be a more powerful force in this world? That's what God designed us to be. Right? So I just don't understand why we don't pursue that. Second thing Peter said here is he said, fear God and honor the king. And these two were not mentioned in the same sentence by accident. This is really, really important. They were mentioned in the same sentence for a reason. The word fear used here is for bayo, right? And it means to be in awe of, to worship or reverence a deity based on a deep respect. It's not shaking in fear like Friday the 13th stuff. It's talking about learning to be, to respect God and worship him from, because of that respect. Right? And based on that respect for God, believers should honor or respect those in authority. Honor the king. Again, you don't, he didn't say agree with the king. Just respect the authority of that office so that people won't have a reason to call you lawless and find a reason to stop you from sharing the message. Right? Now, next, Peter expanded on that. Uh, and let's take a look at this in relationship to servants and masters. Now, understand something. I always get people when it talks about slaves and servants. They say, see, the Bible talks about slavery. Listen, study before you speak. Okay, at that time, there were not colleges on every corner. There were not work programs. There was not, you know, welfare, social security. At that time, you had to work where there was work. And so a lot of times, people would commit themselves to a family. And they would work for that family. 
And yes, they were called servants and slaves in some of the writings, but you know what? If they didn't have a son, guess who got the inheritance? The oldest servant. Okay, so I know there's a stigma around this, but it's not the kind of slavery you're thinking about in all cases. But starting in verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, uh, if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer, for it you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So in our world, this would be more like employee-employer relationship. Okay? Um, not really slave and master. See, most non-Romans in Asia Minor were basically viewed as slaves or subservient because the only thing they thought they were there for was to serve Roman interests. That's the only thing they were there for. So Peter was saying that they should humbly submit to their master's authority, right? Be a good employee, even if the master is unjust or unkind, because God will handle them. He has your back. Listen, this might shock you, but sometimes your boss will be a jerk. That's going to happen. Sometimes the people you work with are going to be jerks. Sometimes your boss and the people you work with are jerks. You know what I mean? He's saying, it won't affect you if you just do your job. Just do your job. Don't get involved in all that. Understand that God will handle it. You don't have to worry about getting revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is what God tells us. Allow God to, to, to take care of every situation, no matter what it is, and he will take care of it. So this means that we should live faithfully and honorably in every situation and trust God to take care of of all the details. That's what he's asking them to do. All right, now, finally, in verses 21 through 25, and this is awesome, because this is an example of humility. Remember in the beginning, I said no one managed dual citizenship like Jesus? This is the evidence of that. Sometimes I think we forget Jesus had to live dual citizenship. When he was alive and ministering on this earth, he was under the king's authority as a human, yet he was the king, spiritually. So look at this, 1 Peter 2.21. For if you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were what? Healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So I love how he finished this up. He's saying, listen, I'm not asking you to do anything that Jesus didn't have to do. Jesus had to submit to the king when he was here. Now, could he have moved his hand and wiped the king out of his ex existence? Yes, but you know why he didn't do that? Because you can't. And he was trying to give you an example, right? People get mad about taxes. I don't like them either. But when they asked Jesus for taxes, he paid them. Granted, he caught a fish and pulled a coin out of his mouth, and we can't do that, but he did pay them. Right? He paid those taxes. He was trying to show you, you will never bring people in to hear the story about becoming a citizen of heaven if you're a bad citizen of this earth, because they won't want to have anything to do with you anyway. They'll never give you the opportunity to even listen. Right? Jesus suffered unjustly. People say, well, you don't understand who I work for. I don't like the president. He's doing bad things, or, you know, when, when Trump was in office, they were saying he was doing bad things. And here's what it boils down to. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Jesus was unjustly beaten, tortured, and murdered. 
so that you could have eternal life, so we can deal with some injustice and trust God to get us through it so that we might lead others to that eternal life also. That was the whole purpose he had in writing this. You know, as a believer, we are going to have to deal with this dual citizenship until God takes us out of the way. And how well we handle it will determine how successfully you serve God. So in all the turmoil we're dealing with right now, if there's one thing you, you take from this, realize, don't take it so seriously that you forget God's in charge. If you find yourself bickering and arguing with people online, you might be taking it too seriously. If you find yourself, you know, dissolving friendships because of political differences and ideologies, you might be taking it too serious. You know, if you find yourself hating your nation and hating the world because of what's going on in the world, you might be taking it too serious. We've known from day one this world can't last. We might as well have a positive impact while we're here. This is what Peter was trying to teach us. I'm going to go ahead and close it. I'm going to ask you, would, to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. Uh, a very brief one. We don't ask people to come down front, but we do believe that the Word of God has power. And there are times when you hear it that it feels like it was just written for you. And when you feel that, He's trying to talk to you. So if there's someone here who's not sure where you stand or, or not sure about your relationship with Christ or just need prayer, just make eye contact with me and put your, bless, your hand, bless, bless those people. Put your hand right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. Listen, I don't have to know what's going on. God does. But no matter what it is, he's in control. If you're listening or watching online, God has you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your mercy and your love and your kindness and especially for your grace. None of us are ever going to be good enough. There's nothing we can do to be good enough to deserve heaven. You knew that. That's why you sent your son to die on our behalf. He became perfect so that we wouldn't have to. And in being perfect, he became our perfect sacrifice. And the love he had supersedes anything we can imagine. Because no matter who someone is or what they've done, if they're willing to trust that what he did was enough, your word promises that they'll have eternal life. And if someone makes that decision, I pray they share that with us. Because we want to walk with them in this journey. And God, for those of us who are believers, the enemy knows we are so easily distracted. Politics and all these things out there and social issues have caused so much division God, let us remain focused on the most important thing. You're in control. This world won't last forever. While we're here, let us serve you so that other people might be a part of your kingdom. Give us a love for people, the ones we agree with and the ones we disagree with. And let us be the kind of person that when people see us, they see you. When they hear us, they hear you. We want to make a powerful impact on our world. We just pray, God, that as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray we would come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.